Let's doing episode 129. Ari interviews Chris Kelly from Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, it's Ari Mizell. Welcome to the Less Doing, More Living podcast. Nine years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a little-known, extremely painful, and seemingly incurable disease, which forced me to go down a long road a radical transformation so that I could reduce stress and win back a normal life for me and my family. While extremely painful, Crohn's was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to innovate and create the less doing more living system, which I used to govern my life. Then I was given the gift of starting to teach this system to other people. And over time, I was able to help more and more people through a video course, this podcast, and the less doing more living book. Now I have the privilege of working with some of the world's top business minds, including Dean Jackson, Joe Polish, Dave Asprey, and Jordan Harbinger, who have all decided to join me for the first annual Less Doing Live Summit that I'm holding in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. To get more information on the Less Doing Live Summit, you can go to the URL lessdoinglive.com, or you can also find links to the event on our main site, lessdoing.com. Now enjoy today's podcast, and if you listen to the end of the show, I am going to give you more information on this event, as well as a way you can earn a free copy of my book, Less Doing, More Living. Okay, everybody, we're back with the Less Doing podcast, and this is episode 129, where I interview Chris Kelly from Nourish, Balance, Thrive, although it's not much of me interviewing him as much as him talking about the quality of my pee. So (laughs) uh, I've got (laughs) guest co-host back, Dave Rail and Dave Will. Hey, guys. Hey there. Hey, Ari. So, uh, Chris Kelly is a really, it was a really cool interview that we did before. And he was talking about the organic acids test, which is a, a urine based test that you do at home. And he, he can get an amazing amount of information. And in this episode, he goes over my results. And, and one of the things that he d- determined was that I was B12 deficient, uh, which is, which is kind of surprising, honestly. And I had some uh, zinc issues and some other stuff that actually confirmed what I found out about my hair analysis test. So essentially, I am back on my nutrients multivitamin protocol, which I was off of for about a month because I had left it at my other house, basically, and um, making an effort to take liver pills. (laughs) So (laughs) I had just had a blood draw this morning, first time in a while, and uh, we'll see. What it shows. So, if you're taking liver pills, are are you? Uh, you're not eating liver, then, I guess. No, I am not. Well, no. Okay, I actually do like foie gras. I, I really enjoy foie gras. And Dave, Will, and I actually shared uh, some foie gras at the yep. last mastermind retreat. But um, as g- generally know, I'm not a big liver fan. I remember liking it as a kid, but as an adult, it's it's a whole different story. And that's pretty unusual for it to be that way instead of the opposite way. Yeah. Hey Ari, uh, do you poop? In general? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Me too. I think everybody does actually. It's a. And my uh, my sister in law is a doctor, and one of the things she told me once that stuck with me <laughs> is uh, it's amazing how much you can tell 
about someone's health by their stool. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely stunning. And I see on um, on the site where, by the way, I love the logo. It's really cool. Cool colors. Nourish, balance, thrive. It's actually www.nourishbalancethrive.com. And one of the options is a stool test. Yes. So I'm curious, uh, why'd you choose the urine test over the stool test? Uh, well, so you really should do both. I've done stool tests before. Um, you, so you, for the full picture, or you know, a, a more full picture, you want to do both. But the you're not going to get the the same kind of breakdown as you get in your urine as you will see in your stool. Also, the the stuff that they're testing in the urine is basically uh, indicators of other things. The organic acids, like for instance, it doesn't show that I'm B12 deficient, but there is some process that is producing a particular acid that suggests that I am B12 deficient. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with stool sampling, you're going to be able to see actual like parasites, bacteria, uh, fat breakdown, that kind of stuff. So it just it, they're two di- very different pictures. I see. So, um, also, I'd, I'd done stool tests before, so I wanted to do one I hadn't done, but uh, it's a good question. You should do both, really. So, uh, this first app I want to tell you guys about, this is really, really cool. So, again, I, I feel like I refer to Chris Dancy on so many podcasts, but he was telling me that one of the things that he'd found out that was really valuable to him was uh, getting rid of toxic people in his life. And the way that he quantified that mm. was that he had the Lumo back, which is the posture detector thing and when he met certain people that he did not like he found that his posture was more uh, erect basically and he was able to make determinations from that even if it was subconscious that there were certain people that just rubbed him the wrong way so there's a new app out called people keeper and it's pplkpr.com it's an app that interacts with a heart rate monitor so you can use a smartwatch it's a specific smartwatch but my understanding is that it will it'll work with um a heart rate band as well. I may be wrong actually, but it has a, it has a wristband that can get your heart rate and it'll basically you tell it who you're meeting with or who you just met with and based on your heart rate after over time it can tell you, you know, these are the three people that make you the most excited. These are the three people that make you the most anxious. Um, That's awesome. This is amazing. Can it wow. differentiate excitement from anxiety? Yes, it can. Um, it can do scared, calm, uh, anxiety, excitement. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Because it's actually looking at heart rate variability, which is something that I've talked about before. And, you know, heart rate variability is much more detailed than your heart rate. It's really the, the, the change in the distance between heart beats, you know, so 60, 60 beats per minute does not mean your heart's beating once every second. It means that your heart's beating 0.92 seconds and then 1.04 seconds and then 0.94 seconds, you know, so, and that changes from second to second. And apparently they've developed a really sophisticated algorithm to classify emotions from that heart rate variability information. Wow. This really is cool. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know, it's really uh, very much the same idea as uh, the Bulletproof uh, Food Sense app, right? You know, it, yeah, it's, except it's for about, people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So I, I see to answer your first question, uh, um, Ari, um, the heart rate device works with – um, any Bluetooth LE device, yeah, uh, including the Polar H7 chest band, the Zephyr HXM. I actually have a Garmin um, uh, Forerunner for running with a heart rate monitor. I wonder if that chest band it, would work. It, is it, it's Bluetooth? 
You know, I don't know how it talks to the device. I would imagine it's Bluetooth, but I don't know. I, I never had to. Oh, yeah, I guess I did have to pair it. So I don't know the answer to that. But it'll be uh, it'll be interesting. Check it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love this concept because it's true, actually. And, and and again, what Chris was saying was he's like anytime he feels like out of sorts or just like off, he'll look at who he's been with in the last three hours. And that's sort of just like his go-to thing. And it makes a lot of sense. So this is going to prompt you like, oh, you've had an emotional response to something. You know, who are you with? And the thing is that sometimes, especially men, I think, are not necessarily as good. Sometimes you can't identify excitement from anxiety. You know, sometimes you just feel like like jazzed, you know, or like you're like going, going, going. So I, I think this is really, really fascinating. And the amount of the, the information you could get from this can have a really life-changing impact. So, uh, the, yeah. So the next app is, this is a very specific and very like kind of niche thing, but I've actually used this like six times in the last two days. It's called Taylor. So it's trytaylor.com. And all it does is automatic screenshot, screenshot stitching. So, you know, like if you get a long text message that's on multiple pages, for instance, you know, and you could do a screenshot, you're not going to get the whole text message. But what you can do with this is you can take one text message, move down the screen, take another, move down, take another, and it will stitch it all together in one seamless image automatically. So you could do that with a web page. You could do it with an app. Like, so the reason I use this a lot is that many times I'm sort of creating demos for people. You know, or actually the other day I wanted a record of a particular text message I exchange I had with somebody and it was like six screens long. Mm. And so I was able to put that into one image that I can then save. So uh, it's totally free. And it's, uh, it's, again, it's a very specific use, but it worked really well. And it's actually something really useful for me. So this is T-R-Y-T-A-I-L-O-R.com. Correct. Very cool. Yeah. Really cool. And sorry, Dave Rail, it's it's iPhone. Well, yeah, I was I was noticing also that uh, it looks like People Keeper is iPhone only as well. And it looks like I'm just gonna have to get an iPhone here at some point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at some point, at least to play. <laughs> um so uh the next one is this is not necessarily relevant to any of us here, but I think it's pretty cool. It's called Ross, powered by Ross.com. And what this looks like is artificial intelligence for lawyers. Okay, so it's built on top of Watson, which is, you know, IBM's computer that that played Jeopardy. And basically, so the example they give is that you can ask Ross questions in natural language, such as Ross in Ontario, can courts pierce the corporate veil where a corporation has misappropriated funds? Basically, Ross will then read through the entire body of law and return a cited answer and topical readings from case law. So if any lawyers that are listening to this, this is pretty amazing because my uncle is a lawyer and I hear a lot of sort of war stories and this will save an enormous amount of time and energy from people like researching for you and, and you know, analyzing case law. Yeah, really it just seems you need a lot less lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> and some people would say that's a good start. So. There's, there's a lot of jokes there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the next one is called howmuchtomakeanapp.com. Okay, so it's how much to make an app.com. And it will take, it's actually really detailed. It takes you through about 12 questions in terms of the app that you want to make. And it will give you an estimated cost to do that. And then, of course, it has a nice handy link to a service that can help you actually make that app. But it's a good thing because, uh, like, I'm, I went through an app 
example here, and it ended up being $45,000 is what they said it would cost to make this app, which is which is pretty much what it costs, I think, nowadays to make a pretty decent app. And uh, if you're thinking about making an app, which many people, of course, are, this would be a good way to go through it. And, and by the way, $45,000, I've picked some random things, and it said that some of the things I picked would make it more expensive, one of which was really, really nice design and in-app purchasing. But for a much more basic app, you can probably do it significantly cheaper. If you have an app idea, this would be a really great place to start to have a sense of how much it might cost you to make it. I think that makes sense, and that that's a good thing. I'm skeptical of how accurate the uh, the the estimates are going to be. You know, software estimation is uh, is a thing that uh, isn't done very well by by really anybody. It, it's it's a it's it's a hard thing to estimate, and uh, I, I I'd say that th- this is this is probably a good place to start, but uh, definitely need to uh, temper some expectations that it's going to give you a a you know. A, there's definitely going to be some wiggle room in, in what that estimate's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. But since it's tied to a service that can then help you actually make the app, I, I think that there's probably you know at least like a standard deviation in there that that's within reason. But again, it gives you an idea if you're thinking like, oh, I can do this for five thousand dollars, and they say it's forty five thousand, then maybe you know that you're a little bit off. Yeah, definitely useful. So I got two more. the The next one is called Luna. It's a lunasleep dot lunasleep dot com and uh, L U N A sleep.com this is like the bedit it's a sleep tracker but this is built into the mattress cover and it's not just a sleep tracker it also gives you dual zone temperature control whoa so yeah this is really cool so first of all it's a sleep tracker for two people which is always one of the complaints that people bring up is what if there's somebody else in the bed will it still be accurate so this is for two people it's dual zone it does advanced sleep tracking like your heart rate and your breathing rate and all that good stuff it has a smart alarm built into it so it will wake you up at your most wakeful point plus it has that dual zone temperature control which is really huge in terms of like biohacking because i for instance like to be much cooler at night than my wife does and it, it you know it, it really does affect your sleep if you're not at the unoptimal temperature so this is very very cool and really interesting form factor as well it's just mattress cover couldn't be easier how oh, so, so this mattress cover it's an electric blanket basically well uh, cooler and and heater so yeah interesting wonder how that washes that's a good question <laughs> so I, I think that yeah that's a natural and wow they've they've really thought of a lot here um and you know i, I know in my van how much i love having the zones for the climate control so that, that's great uh, the only thing that bothers me is when is looking at the image on the site, and they've got seventy eight and eighty two degrees. As the yeah, I know. I saw that. <laughs> Those wow, are that, not optimal temperatures. That would not be even comfortable. No, uh, just so people know. If you, I mean, we've talked. I've talked about it before, but you really want to be sixty eight, sixty six degrees for your sleep temperature. So, um, well, we're not talking about air temperature. We're talking about. Body temperature. I mean, well, obviously, you don't want 78 degrees body temperature, but I think there's a big difference between the room temperature versus the temperature of your comforter or your bed you're sleeping on. That's true. That makes sense. You know, that's true. And by the way, it looks like this is going to be under all your sheets. Um, It looks like this this heat or cooling system is coming almost from the mattress. So they're really 
wouldn't be unless you have a young child sleeping in your bed. You're probably not going to have a big reason to um, wash this thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Interesting. So, I'd love to see this when it comes out. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last one, and this one, I'm, I'm not personally necessarily affected by, but very, very excited that this happened. Um, so some researchers in uh, Melbourne did a study with children who had peanut allergies. Now, do you, either of you know anybody with a peanut allergy? Sure. Yeah, yeah, not, not closely, but yes. So peanut allergies are horrible for people who have them. And, you know, it's, it's actually, it was, it, 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 so many more kids now have peanut allergies. And, and usually peanut allergies are not minor. You know, they tend to be pretty severe. People yeah. go into anaphylactic shock. So they did this study, uh, and they basically took massive amounts of a very, very specific probiotic. So it was lactobacillus rhamnosus. And the dose, they said, was equivalent to eating 20 kilograms of yogurt each day. <laughs> but at the end of the trial, 80% of the kids could eat peanuts without any reaction. Wow. Hmm. And, and so what's the name of this? Uh, the study was done at Murdoch Children's Research Institute in, in yeah. Melbourne, Australia. But uh, the, the bacteria that they used, the probiotic, was called Lactobacillus rhamnosus. And it was a, a daily dose over an 18-month period of this probiotic, but which is not a big deal because, you know, it's like a – I don't know how they administered it exactly. It might have been in a pill form or maybe they mixed it into something. But – uh, just to clarify, they, you know, the equivalent of eating 20 kilograms of yogurt, they weren't eating 20 kilograms of anything. Um, it's just that's that's how much of yogurt you'd have to have to get this kind of a dose. And 80% success in terms of being able to eat peanuts after that. Hmm. So it's pretty amazing. It's a, I mean, peanut allergies kill people and there's really nothing you can do about it. Uh, not much anyway. And this this is a pretty incredible uh, finding. Yeah, just more evidence for how important that uh, gut Perfect. flora really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's all I got for today, guys. And now we're going to get on to the interview with Chris Kelly. But thank you so much to both of you again for being on here with me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Great. Glad Thanks. to do it. All right. And now for feature interview. So now I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the podcast Chris Kelly of Nourish, Balance, Thrive. So first of all, Chris, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me, Ari. It's uh, much appreciated. Absolutely. So uh, the last time we had Chris on, we talked about various tests that uh, he commonly runs on people. And one of them was the organic acid test. That's a, a urine test. So w we, we sort of touched on it last time. We'll talk about it a little bit again this time. But uh, more interestingly, at least for me, we're going to be talking about my results from my organic acid test. So Chris, why don't you start, first of all, just tell people again, if they, you know, if they didn't hear the other episode, what the organic acid test is and how you use it. Yeah. So the organic acid test is awesome. It's a urine test. So you don't need to go to a lab to get blood drawn or anything like that. You just collect an overnight sample of urine and then you freeze it and then you send it into the lab and the lab, they do an analysis. And once it's complete, they send me a PDF file, which is what we're looking at right now. And the PDF file is a report which tells you something about cellular metabolism. So when you think about your body, it's comprised of trillions of cells, each one of them doing their little thing that they do. And they produce these byproducts of their metabolism, which the lab can measure in a urine sample. So 
I think a good analogy is if you take your car into the garage and you roll it onto the rolling road and the mechanic puts a probe into the tailpipe and <laughs> analyzes the exhaust gases, that's what's going on here. So we're not measuring anything directly, but we're looking at lots of things indirectly. Well, and it's an interesting indirect look at it too, because you're, you're in some ways you're seeing how your body's processing certain things, you know, right? It's not at the intracellular levels per se. It's just sort of like what the end product is, which in some cases is, I mean, really more important. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so yeah, in some instances you can see like these pathways that inside your body, the biochemistry, they flow like a river. And if a, da- a beaver were to come along and build a dam in that river, then you would start to see, <clears throat> excuse me, some of these organic acids start to, to pool up. And at that point, you'd know there's a problem with that pathway, that the, the water's no longer flowing in the way that it should, and that you should investigate to find out why. And often the cause is a micronutrient deficiency or some overgrowth of bacteria or something you can do something about. And, and, and what, generally speaking, are organic acids? They're the byproducts, they're the metabolites of uh, amino acids. So the protein that you eat eventually gets transformed into organic acids. So that's, that's what they are at the kind of the biochemistry level. Okay, cool. So this is, and this is one of your favorite tests, right? I mean, you really, yes, like, you really uh, like this one. <laughs> I love this test. I, the first time I saw my own result, I looked at it and I thought, wow, this is like a problem in computer science, right? There's like all these different <laughs> variables and they all mean something. And right now the names don't mean much to me. And they're still kind of weird. Like we'll, we'll touch on a couple of the names here of the organic acids they actually measure, but they're, they're kind of weird names that most people have not heard of. But at the end of the day, they're just variables. And you can figure out what those variables mean and, and, and what, how they might be affecting your health. And yeah, like I say, you can manipulate them. So it's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, cool. So, all right, well, so let's get to my results. Okay, so first of all, just so people know the way this test works, basically, you get up in the morning, you, you're, uh, what do you call it, your first evacuation? Exactly, first morning void, they call oh, it. Oh, void, sorry, okay, so your first void. Um, <laughs> so basically, your first pee in the morning, and you, you pee into a, a vial, which you freeze, and then you FedEx overnight it to the lab. So, uh, and then you get your results. So let's let's talk about the results. First of all, uh, let's talk about mine specifically, of course, but also, you know, because I, I think that mine didn't show too many big problems. So let's sort of, as we go through it, talk a little bit about, you know, what people might see in those situations. But you take, it's your show for the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first page that you look at on this test, there's a summary of abnormal findings. And on that page, they just list all of the things that they thought were suspicious that, that, that need to be looked into. And the first thing I think is striking about your result is there's not much on this page, right? So <laughs> that, that's a really good sign for me. Like yeah. I can see just two things listed here and it's common for me to see 27, right? For someone that's really not doing very well. So yeah. I would conclude from this that whatever you're doing it is working. And because there's not much going on, it probably means that I've intervened and, that, and that's the case. So when someone comes to me and they say, oh, I'm suffering, I'm really tired, I've got brain fog, I don't sleep well, my sex drive's gone, I can't concentrate, those types of things, then I find tons of things going on on the organic acids. But for you, you've like kind of, I've, I've almost interjected, I've almost asked you to do the test, do you see what I mean? So there's kind of a difference. Right, right. 
So, um, yeah, so the first section, let's just go into, I'm going to nitpick, since, since, there's, nothing, <laughs> since there's nothing really, really obvious, I'm going to nitpick a little bit and talk about some of the things that were kind of borderline on your result. Yeah, great. And the first section is fatty acid metabolism. So your body should be capable of producing energy from carbohydrates, fat, and protein. But certain micronutrients have to be in place in order for that to happen. So you can drill down further with the organic acids test and look at fatty acid metabolism. And this is what you want to be burning, as Ari's talked about on many occasions. When you're sat at your desk concentrating, you shouldn't be burning glucose, you should be burning fat. And that's going to give you a nice, even source of energy throughout the day. And then the same is true of endurance athletes as well. You definitely want to be burning fat if your activity lasts more than an hour, say. Now, there's an organic acid on this test called suberate. Yeah. And suberate starts to build up in the urine sample when there is not enough carnitine to shuttle the fatty acids from the outside of the cell into the little powerhouse in the middle of the cell. So when that happens, when there's not enough carnitine, and carnitine is a micronutrient that comes primarily from red meat, although it can be made inside your body, then you start to see this organic acid build up. And you can see that you're actually borderline, if not in the fifth quintile in the red. Yes. So what this means is you could probably benefit from taking carnitine as a micronutrient, or sorry, as a supplement. Okay. That would increase your fat burning potential, which you might experience as better energy or better sleep or, or anything. When you think about it, when you sleep overnight, you're in a fasted state. And so that's another time that you'd really want to be burning a lot of fat. So uh, carnitine is, a, I mean, you often see a lot of uh, weightlifters and, and workout people touting like L-carnitine as a, as a good supplement. Yeah, absolutely. It was revolutionary for me when I first started this. I did the organic acids test and my all of mine, I think, adipate, superate, and ethylmalinate were all off the charts. And so I started supplementing with carnitine. And then all of a sudden, the, the low-carb, high-fat approach to fueling and endurance activity just started working. It just didn't work for me at all before then. So, yeah, that was quite a... Quite. So the question is, though, why would you end up... Presumably, you're eating lots of red meat. You're not vegetarian or anything like that. No, I'm not. Yeah, so you'd want to like kind of figure out like what's going on. Are you not absorbing it? Is it not being digested and assimilated correctly? That's that's well. Well, what's what's a lot of red meat? So for me, like I do eat red meat, but I I I eat a lot of fish. Um, I don't. I, I actually don't eat a lot of red meat. I try to. I'm not a vegetarian by any means, but I would say that I'm like maybe sixty percent vegetarian. Like I I I only have meat uh, a few times a week. Yeah, so it's it's at the moment it's like yeah a few, a few times a week that sounds reasonable to me. It's uh-huh. it's it's really hard for me to give specific recommendations on on quantities in ounces or something sure, like yeah. that. And of course, that's going to vary from day to day, like how much you actually need. But it's it's carnitine is one of those things that shouldn't be that hard to get from food. There are other things which like you know enzyme CoQ10, for example. So to dive into another part of this test, it actually looks at the citric acid cycle. So the citric acid cycle is the way in which we convert food and oxygen into energy. And you can think of it like a traffic circle with the carbohydrates, fats, and protein coming into the traffic circle. And then each intermediate step is actually measured on this test. So citrate, cisaconitate, isocitrate, they're all on this test. And you can look at each junction on the traffic circle. and, And if there's traffic building up there, then you know there's a problem. And enzyme CoQ10 is by far the weakest link 
in the citric acid cycle. And so I see tons of people that need more enzyme CoQ10 as a supplement in order to feel, to generate more energy. And really, there's only one place that comes from our diet, and that's in organ meat. Specifically, heart muscle meat is really the only thing with it in. And even then, it's like almost meaningless quantities. You really have to synthesize that endogenously or take it as a supplement. So again, something that's really important for energy production. I wasn't aware of that, about it being uh, primarily found in heart muscle meat. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a weird quirk of, it's actually the, the tissue that needs it the most, so it has like the greatest mitochondrial density, is also, so it's actually there, it's there in the tissue because the tissue needs it. It's kind of a weird quirk. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so, well, sorry, sorry, but so we sort of skipped over something that I want to ask you about, and, uh-huh. and that's the, uh, the beta-hydroxybutyrate. So. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, what I'm seeing here is that I don't, I, I wasn't showing any ketone bodies basically in my urine. Yeah, so beta hydroxybutyrate is the primary ketone body. And the reason it's on this test is because it was designed to help severely insulin resistant, chronically ill people. Now, I don't think the lab ever anticipated a tidal wave of people all eating low carbohydrate diets. Right. And so it's not as meaningful as it once was on this test. I see tons of people that are measuring, you know, very high on the beta-hydroxybutyrate, which the lab originally intended to mean that they were insulin resistant, but of course it doesn't mean that. It means they're restricting carbohydrate. You don't always see elevated beta-hydroxybutyrate in someone that's in ketosis because the ketones shouldn't necessarily be coming out in the urine. You should be burning them as fuel. So it's possible that you could be in ketosis and not really show much on on this test. It, is that the case? Then you're eating a low carbohydrate diet. Well, so you know that's and that's why I ask. So I, I am eating a high fat diet, I, but the thing is, is so it's on a macro level. Yes, I'm probably eating what would be considered a low carb, high fat diet. But because I I have a pretty fast metabolism, as I think you saw here, mm-hmm. and and I eat a lot, I still. Like as an absolute amount, I still think I'm getting a pretty good amount of carbs every day, you know. Yeah. So, so, so like that's a, you know that's what I always say. Like if you're eating four thousand calories a day, even if you're eating you know ten percent carbs, which is that's pretty low carb, that's still four hundred you know calories or you know s- several grams of carbs each day. So it's in an absolute level, it's not really low carb. Yeah. So that would be enough, I think. Even ten percent of your energy as carbohydrate would probably be enough to suppress. That's like maximal insulin response. Right. And would probably suppress the production of beta-hydroxybutyrate. So yeah, you, that would be enough to suppress ketosis. But that's not, you know, I mean, ketosis is working great for me, but I, I don't generally recommend it because the people right. that come to me, they're usually under a, quite a lot of stress. And I see that, you know, to get that person to adapt to a ketogenic diet, would be even more stress, which, which seems kind of counterproductive to me. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, so go on. So moving on. There's a section on this test that looks at your B vitamin status. And the B vitamins are crucial for everything. When you look at nearly every single biochemical pathway, they all seem to need uh, the B vitamins as cofactors to make that process happen. So Going back to my analogy with the river with the dam in it that's built by the beaver, then if you were to be missing one of the B vitamins, then you would start to see one of these organic acids starts to pool. And you could just remove that dam and get that biochemical process working properly again just by adding the B vitamin. And so the one that I'm looking at for you is 
beta-hydroxyisovalerate. Yeah, I've lost it on my little, there it is, number, marker number 18. Mm-hmm. And do you see how that's elevated into the fifth quintile? It's in the red spot. So yes. that's telling me, you know, the presence of, this, of the high levels of this organic acid is telling me that you could use more vitamin B7. And vitamin B7 is more commonly known as biotin. And ah. biotin is really important for hair. <laughs> yeah. Which I so that's an interesting of- one. Well, so that that's really funny. I didn't I didn't realize that biotin was B seven. Okay, all right. Yeah, I know. I wish they would do that. I get confused as well sometimes. I wish they would just either use the numerical convention or the naming convention. I could memorize either, but the the, the combination of the two confuses me sometimes. Huh, okay. So um, the other well, and so what would be a natural? I mean, uh, biotin as a as a supplement is great, but what would be a really good natural source of of biotin? It's red meat again, isn't it? Yeah, more red meat. So one of the things we spend, my wife's a food scientist and we do tons of nutritional coaching. And one of the things that she's always trying to get people to do is eat more organ meat. When you look at organ meat, they are by far the most nutrient dense sources of all of the things that we're seeing problems with on the organic acids test. So, you know, I've heard people talk about like Dr. Terry Walls mentioned on Rob Wolf's podcast recently that she thought that up to 30% of our dietary protein intake should come from organ meat. And of course, absolutely nobody's doing that. Well, and, and how do, so I take uh, a, a liver pill every day now. And uh, part of that was because I had a, a hair analysis test done and it showed that I was zinc deficient and copper mm-hmm. toxic. But uh, I mean, maybe I would say obviously, but maybe it's not obvious. Is, is taking liver in pill form going to do a good job or is it really not as effective? Well, I can tell you that it's probably not working right now. Well, I just, I just started like a week ago, so. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it will. It's, 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 it's really, really hard to say, you know, and it's going to vary from day to day. Right. So for me as an athlete, I go out and I ride my bike for two hours and one day, then my requirements are going to be different from on another day where I rested. And of course, when you look at, you know, if you're sat at your desk trying to concentrate really hard, then the neurons... They produce energy in exactly the same way as your muscle cells do. So, um, you know, they have the same requirements. So the harder, you, the harder you're concentrating, the harder you're working, the harder you're trying to focus, the greater your requirements. So, yeah, the, the whole food sources are definitely the best. I would, that way I would say. And again, red meat is going to be king there. But not, not specifically organ meat, though, you're saying? No, not specifically organ meat for the okay. B vitamins. Okay. It's not hard. You can Google these things, right? And like, uh, there's, there's really good databases online, which are the best sources of B vitamins. Right. Okay. So um, also in the B vitamin section, I thought this was really interesting, is your methylmalonate. So methylmalonate starts to build up in the urine when there's insufficient B12. And of course, B12 is really famous right now because it's involved in methylation, and the homocysteine methionine cycle. And there are lots of people, it turns out, that have a mutation in the MTHFR gene, the polymorphism, that can lead to problems with either folate or B12 or both. And so um, this test is called methylmalonic um, acid, actually starts to build up in the urine before you'd see it on a blood test. So this is a more sensitive marker for B12 than even a blood test. So yeah, it looks like you can see you're in the fifth quintile, in the red for this one too. So you should try and get some more B12. 
More B12, yeah. And so, by the way, so the hair analysis test showed this as well, that I was uh, B12 deficient, uh, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So, but again, that's, I mean, red meat, right? Or eggs would be good. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. I eat a lot of eggs. This is It's just interesting. So I'm probably not absorbing it as well as I should be, I guess. I Yeah, so there's the kind of, like, it's a theme starting to form here, the carnitine, yeah. the B7. Like, it's, well, okay, you know, you have to do a bit of detective work. The test alone doesn't tell you everything. And so you have to figure out, like, why is the person not absorbing them? Are they not eating them? What, what's going on here? Um, oh, and so one question about the carnitine, by the way, I, I forgot to ask this, is that you can get L-carnitine, you can also get acetyl L-carnitine. And in this, in this context, what's really the difference? Um, like the, the amount that you, the, the bioavailability, so the amount you'd absorb. Ah, the okay. type that I recommend, actually, is um, a liquid carnitine. Mm that's made by Designs for Health. And the, the reason I like the liquid version is because it's, it's really hard to get to the dosage that's been shown to be effective. It's like the, the effective dose is like two and a half, three grams a day, which is a lot. And oh, the wow. capsules, the, some of the capsules, they only have like 100 milligrams in. Right. So you can either consume two teaspoons of this liquid or you can like try and choke down, you know, many pills. <laughs> so okay. yeah, the, the, the liquid I think is better. Well, and so another question here. So since I'm, I'm deficient in vitamin B7, also known as biotin, and B12, would it be beneficial for someone like me to take a B-complex or specifically just taking B12 and B7? No, I would recommend a B-complex. Yeah, okay. And, you know, you can see that you're quite high. You're in the fourth quintile for formula glutamate, which is the marker for folate. And so you can get a product, Thorn Basic B-complex has all of the B vitamins and the folate. And I, and I mentioned the, the genetic mutation, the MTHFR. Well, the Thorn product has the folate as real folate, as 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, which is the most bioavailable form that everybody can use. There's some problems I'm sure you've heard about with folic acid. Some yes. people can't use it. Yeah, okay. So you could, like, you could, just, you know, you could take one of those a day and, and you would hit all of those markers in, in one capsule. Very, very interesting. Okay. All right, cool. So, um, yeah, moving on, we've got the neurotransmitter section. And you've got quite elevated levels of homovalinate. That's the marker number 22. So homovalinate is the breakdown product of dopamine. And so normally when I see this elevated, and, and like I say, we're really nitpicking here, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That, but that's okay. It <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So I'm seeing quite high turnover of dopamine. And normally that's the sort of person that's, that's stressed out right now. Like normally what happens is people get to the point where they're so stressed out and so burnt out, you see very low turnover of the neurotransmitters. And the opposite is true here for you. So dopamine is a brain chemical that is related to reward. So <laughs> when you have someone, when you get off the couch to eat some haagen that you know you don't really need in the evening. It's the dopamine that gets you off the couch. It's that kind of motivating. And, and people with like dopamine problems, they tend to have, like they're quick to anger or um, they're depressed or addicted. It's like a really, really interesting brain chemical. Robert Sapolsky of Stanford University has some fantastic videos online if you want to learn more about dopamine and epinephrine and the cool thing about this test is you can see how quickly you're turning over all of these neurotransmitters. Yeah, so we're not measuring them directly. We're just looking at the breakdown product. So the faster, the more dopamine you turn over, 
the higher the homovalinate, so the, number, the, the greater that number will grow. Yeah, so it's interesting, actually, because my entire life, I've, I've always had what I would consider to be a very bad temper. And when I was um, about 17 or so, I started to control it better. And I, I still, I control it very well. I've never like gotten in a fight over it. or It's never been something that's gotten me in serious trouble. But I, I do find that I've always been quick to get like annoyed or agitated by things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to hear that. Yeah, so the answer is is all of the stuff that you do, right? Um, the guided meditation, the removing the frustrating things from your life, like right. and the frustrating people as well in some instances. <laughs> um, well, and and so what what are these other ones though? Because I I've, I mean I, I've never heard of any of these uh, offshoots actually. But like, what is kynurenate? Uh, kynurenate or kynurenate is a metabolite of tryptophan. So tryptophan uh. is an amino acid that comes from our diet and everybody's heard of tryptophan making you sleepy because um, it's a it's the amino acid that's used to make serotonin so serotonin is an inhibitory neurotransmitter it's like the other side of the dopamine coin right it's the other side of that equation and you can see that you have normal levels turnover of serotonin the the 5-hydroxyindolacetate is is normal that's a metabolite of serotonin so this is this is really great. I don't often see this. So um, all your tryptophan that's coming from your diet is being used to make serotonin, and then I'm seeing normal serotonin of, of serotonin. The kyurinate and quiclinate, they represent an alternate pathway that, that comes from that same tryptophan source. So if you're under a ton of stress, your body will start using the tryptophan to make kyurinate, quiclinate, and then inflammatory cytokines rather than making this rather nice inhibitory neurotransmitter serotonin, which, by the way, metabolizes into melatonin, which is a sleep hormone that gets you to sleep at night. So this is kind of, this is how people that are stressed out can become depressed. So, you know, you're, you're not showing that at all. Like, I'm not seeing high or low turnover of serotonin. So I think yours is kind of the high turnover of dopamine is kind of, it's almost like someone that's excited, like maybe you've just like, you know, started a business or... Had well, a new kid, and I love probably I, all of those things are true. Yeah, I have three kids, and I love what I do for for a living. So I guess that that makes sense. I'm I'm constantly. I guess that basically, like I'm constantly in a state of rewarding, right? Exactly. Reward. Yeah. So it, so is that a problem in itself, or I mean, well, it can be because you know, there's only when you look at these neurotransmitters, they're ultimately made from amino acids, and in the case of uh, dopamine, it's made from the amino acid tyrosine. And tyrosine is a non-essential amino acid, but... Tyrosine is in Red Bull, isn't it? Oh, no, that's taurine. Never mind, sorry. Oh, taurine, okay, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so um, the problem is, you know, there's only so much tyrosine to go around, and if you burn it all up, you might then start to see the dopamine go low, and then you would experience other symptoms, like maybe depression or addiction or or something like that. When you look at someone that's addicted to coke, it's a dopamine-related disorder, Mm -hmm. and... The, the reason they're addicted to that substance is it gives them the dopamine that they're so, they so really need. Gotcha. Okay. So, that's, that's, so the solution then, I mean, you could supplement with tyrosine. That might help, but I think but what, really the end solution really the point is to... Though, right? Sorry? The, it's hard, like, what would be the point necessarily? Because it's really like a lifestyle adjustment in a way. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Right, okay. So the final section of the organics profile. And it's kind of a shame that the, the New York version 
of this test is slightly stripped down and that some of the markers are, are removed. Yeah. And it's not entirely clear to me. I think it's just like a protection thing. They're trying to protect local New York practitioners. And they do that by taking some of the markers off this result for people that live in New York. But um, obviously, there's still a ton of useful information. And so this final section, these are all metabolites of bacterial origin. right? So this is really interesting because things that you're eating are feeding bacteria and then those bacteria are producing these organic acids that appear on this result. So if you have an overgrowth or an undergrowth of any of the bacteria, then you might see changes in, in this result. But this result is quite specific in that most of the metabolites that are on it are from non-beneficial species of bacteria. So bad bacteria that's living in your gut produce these organic acids, which we measure on the result. And then quite specifically, especially with indican, marker number 39, that's a bad bacteria that's living in your small intestine. And so if this is kind of a crude marker, a crude way of diagnosing small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Now, the good news is I don't think that's going on here for you. Like all, all these markers look pretty normal to me. But um, there's one that really shines out and that's the 3,4-dehydroxyphenylpropionate, which is a metabolite of the clostridial species of bacteria. Right. And the most famous of these bacteria is, of course, C. difficile, which I know that you've already discussed on the show before. I've just been listening to that show. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so it's interesting because I feel like I would be aware if I had a C. difficile uh, sort of, you know, small, uh, small intestine bacterial overgrowth kind of situation. However, um, it, it, of course, it's it's possible that I, I'm not aware of that. So, what what else what else could that mean, though? Yeah. So, I should be clear that it's not necessarily. So, C. diff is not the only clostridial species of bacteria, right? And this test is not specific enough to identify C. diff. So, you know, you could just go ahead and treat this. So. You could just take really high doses of Saccharomyces boulardii should displace whichever clostridial species. I don't think any of them are really particularly good. And, but, I, you know, what I would really want to do is continue the investigation and do a stool test. So I have two stool tests that I do. The BioHealth 401 HGI pathogen screen. And this is a traditional stool culture where you're paying for the time of a microbiologist to actually look at the sample underneath the microscope. And they can actually detect the toxins that are produced by C. diff. C. diff produces multiple toxins when it's stressed. So if something happens to the, its environment that it likes to live in, then it produces these spores and toxins that has, you know, causes bad things in your gut. You don't want that. And this test, the BioHealth 401H, they can actually look for those toxins. So at that point, you'd have a, an absolute dead confirmation, positive result. This is C. diff. I need to do something about it. And does that relate to number 38 at all? Number 38, the, no, so that, no, it doesn't, honestly. So that's, um, you know, it's another indication. So P-hydroxyphenol acetate is the breakdown product of uh, polyphenols that come in our diet. So you could just be drinking too much green tea or something with, that's rich in polyphenols. I, I, I love, I'm a big uh, fan of, of uh, dark or cacao nibs, basically, right. which is really high in phenol. So, 
yeah, I'm actually a sucker for those as well. And I've got the same result. But um, yeah, so it could be that you're just um, consuming lots of dietary polyphenols. But uh-huh. um, yeah, most likely the normal reason I see it elevated is the person has a bit overgrowth of the particular type of bacteria that likes to eat those things and produce or eat the carbohydrates and produce these organic acids. Gotcha. Now, I want to point something out here. I mean, you said this along the way many times, but I want to point this out to the people listening that for the, the clostridial species, mm-hmm. the, the test that Chris has done here has detected an organic acid that is often produced by that species or various species. So what's really cool about this to me, and because you, you said this a couple times, it's an indirect test. He's not detecting bacteria in my urine. He's not detecting dead bacteria or parts of bacteria. He's actually detecting, detecting a byproduct that is produced by several kinds of bacteria. So it's a really interesting like uh, uh, red flag in a way. Yeah, it is. And that's what's so amazing. When you think about all the grounds that we've discovered in this one single urine sample, it's pretty amazing. We've got everything from energy production through neurotransmitter turnover. We've looked at your detox pathways and methylation. We've looked at B vitamin status. And now we're looking at all these bacterial overgrowth. And this isn't just one urine sample. And I, I think that's what's so cool about this test is there's no one test that covers this much ground. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was really interesting amount of information. It's funny. I mean, I, I, I'm not wishing that there was something wrong, but I almost like wish that there was a little bit more personal material for us to go over. However, so looking at this, you, basically, the general recommendations for me is that if I'm going to deal with this for food, I need to eat more red meat and I need mm-hmm. to take uh, Saccharomyces boulardii's uh, uh, probiotic to deal with the possible clostridial species that may be lurking in my body. But that's that's sort of it, right? Well, there was one other thing that I thought of. And again, like we're really nitpicking here. Like I think it's like a true testament to your diet and lifestyle advice that that the result is this good, even though we've been talking about lots of things here. Um, Marker number 31, do you see this pyroglutamate is quite elevated? Yes, yes. Into the fifth quintile. So it's, it's, it's rather complex, but the primary endogenous antioxidant inside your body is called glutathione. Right. And glutathione, when you produce, you can't avoid oxidative stress. So you eat food, you breathe oxygen, you generate energy through the citric acid cycle. Inevitably and necessarily, there will be reactive oxygen species and oxidative stress created. And glutathione is this molecule that's there to just mop up those reactive oxygen species and stop there from being any damage. So the phospholipid membranes of cells, for example are potential electron donors for these reactive oxygen species. And so you could have them steal electrons from that uh, cell membrane and then possibly the cell could divide or die or you know, bad things could happen. It could become dysfunctional. And so glutathione comes along as the most important compound that saves the day. And when we see pyroglutamate start to build up in the urine, cycle, in the urine it means that the, the glutas, glutathione cycle is not running properly. So you're not recycling Glutathione, once it's been used or oxidized, it's then reduced and turned back into the active form of glutathione. And so when you see this pyroglutamate build up, it means that's not happening properly. And the main reason why it wouldn't be is because your diet lacks sufficient glycine. Ah. So glycine is an amino acid. So, um, you know, normally I would say to this person, um, get some more bone broth. Yeah, okay. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah, and I, it's funny because I use... 
I, I love bone broth, and I, but I kind of use it like medicinally. Like I use it if there's a cold going around in the house right. or if I'm not feeling well. But it is something that I actually would like to have be a more regular part of my diet. And it's, it's a really good precursor to glutathione production. So that's interesting with the glycine. Hmm. Okay. I think it's like there's this sort of a number of themes that have popped up here that you know, our body needs certain micronutrients that are just becoming increasingly rare in our diet as we eat. You know, not, not necessarily, I mean, it's not for you more processed foods, but it's, it's more like a cultural thing. Yeah, it's ancestral. Yeah. Like in the past, you would have eaten the whole animal nose to tail. And most people are pretty revolted by the idea of eating a beef heart or a, or a beef tongue or something like that. But of course, everybody would have eaten all of those things, you know, even 100 years ago. Yeah, right. It's a, it's a, it's a very fair point. Um, and it's, liver is one of the things that I... I I'll eat foie gras. Actually, I enjoy foie gras, like liver pate. But other than that, eating liver to me is is very very challenging. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I've had I've had haggis several times, real haggis. Um, so I've never had a problem with like heart or lung or anything like that. Uh, but and that was also interesting to find out what you said about uh, CoQ10 enzyme being primarily in heart muscle, which I've never heard before. So yeah, it is. It's it's weird though when you look at it. It's like the amount that you actually need and the amount that you're likely to get from heart muscle meat is like there's so there's quite a big discrepancy there it's it's it's, you know, it's very difficult to absorb as well well so, so not to piss anybody off that's listening but what's what's a vegan to do <laughs> yeah that's a that's a tricky point i don't <laughs> like <laughs> i'll be honest with you and say that i've we've gotten some really great results in our practice by persuading people typically they don't need much persuading right so they see a result like this and they're like okay i'm done with this veganism thing and then they get great results i was talking to a woman just this week and she's really active she does ironman triathlons and her coach is having to adjust her threshold power and we haven't done anything with the test results yet the only thing she's done is work with my wife and she's just added in some of the some of the foods that we've just been talking about and given up trying to be a vegan so yeah, I'm sorry. I don't. I mean, I'm a former vegetarian myself, and vegans are the, some of the most thoughtful and moral people I've ever met. But um, unfortunately, I don't think it's a good approach to long-term health or performance. Yeah, it's the thing is, is that to do a vegan diet correctly, first of all, I think that it, you have to be a very specific, not personality, but just uh, like body type and genetic makeup. I, I don't think that a vegan diet works for the general public. And the thing is, is that the vegan diet that most people that I see do, uh, do is not really a proper vegan diet. It's mostly right. just a lot of processed stuff. And that's, the problem is, you know, avoiding animal proteins is not automatically mean you're eating good things. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. I, I used to live with a guy that did that. They're just he restricted nearly everything, and then the stuff that he did eat was just basically junk. So if you think about it, like Doritos are probably vegan, right? So you can eat those. And, so and is so Coca-Cola. That's <laughs> and he would eat, you know, like a block of soy, like it was a, an eight-ounce steak, which is, yeah, it's, it doesn't work like that. You can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so Chris, I mean, that was, last last call we had was amazing. This was really, really cool for me, and I, I'm, I'm going to get on my uh, supplement regimen now, but what, how can people find out more about what you offer, do some more testing with you? I mean, because let me just say, like, without trying to sell anything to people, this is a really, really great service that Chris is offering. You can do the majority of these tests from your own home, and if not, you can go to a nearby lab. But mm-hmm. the analysis that Chris can give you is uh, huge. So how can people find out more, Chris? And, and what's Yeah, so you can come to uh, nourishbalancethrive.com. 
if you've got some specific complaints, I can certainly help you with those. I do free consultations for 15 minutes. Or um, if you heard this and, and you make a note of it, if you order one of these tests, you'll see it's called the Comprehensive Metabolic Profile. Maybe I can give Ari a link and you order one of these tests. Normally you would pay for the interpretation, but um, I'll do one of those for free for you. Oh, great. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that offer. Um, so people can go to nourishbalancethrive.com to find out more and get in touch with Chris. So Chris, awesome. thank, thank, you. thank you and thank you for your time and thank you for the analysis and uh, I hope to, uh, to talk to you again soon about something about improved results. Thank you, Ari. It's a privilege. Hey, it's Ari again. Thanks for listening to today's show. As I promised at the beginning of the show, I am going to tell you more about the Less Doing Live event in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. Then I will tell you how you can earn a free copy of the Less Doing More Living book. Less Doing Live is an event I am putting on with Business Research Group in New York City. We have designed this event to give you and a small group of Less Doing fanatics a personal quality experience. We are limiting this event to 150 participants in Manhattan to make sure that I get a chance to meet and hang out with every one of you. Now, here's why this event is different. You see, most business conferences are just a series of speeches on a stage where smart speakers get up and give you tons of great information. In fact, it's usually so much that you don't know what to do with it all. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make you take action. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I've designed this event to make sure you do take action. Because the only way to make big changes in your life is to invest in yourself. And that's not only an investment of your money, because you can always earn more of that, but rather an investment of your time, which is something so precious, because you can never get it back. So at this event, we're not just going to talk. On the first morning, Dave Asprey and I are going to share with you the latest cutting-edge tips on how to hack your productivity and biohack your body. But then that afternoon, it's going to get really exciting when we break down into small groups and get you into workshops to solve your biggest problems in productivity. What are the workshops going to be? They'll be designed to help you tackle the fundamental problems that stop 99% of the world from realizing their full potential. Getting your email down to inbox zero and mastering your communications with the world? Or a scheduling class where you can learn how to automate your schedule to the point where you will have a calendar working for you. Or an outsourcing class where you can learn how to get rid of 95% of the things that you shouldn't be doing on a daily basis. We're also going to have a biohacking class that's going to include nutrition and help you master your body and your life. Which one of these classes should you attend? Well, that's where my Less Doing Certified Coaches come in. Before we even let you get to the event... You have to speak to one of our coaches so that we can talk to you and see if the event is right for you. That way we can make sure that we truly help you. So to get to the event, you just need to enter your email and then register to speak to one of our Less Doing Certified Coaches in a free 45-minute coaching call where you will learn the one area of your life that you need the most help with and will get the most impact out of. Now, as a special gift to you for joining this free coaching call, I want to recognize your commitment to your productivity by giving you a free copy of the book, Less Doing, More Living. Thanks for listening.